Well, when it comes to jerks, <laughs> some of you know a jerk. Uh, some of you were so excited about this series, you invited somebody. I, you, some of you are that, that person that was invited to this series. Uh, some of you, you know, you, you know what it's like to be around a jerk. Uh, some of you were born into this family of people that you didn't ask to be born into, and it was a rough childhood situation, and you might say, I, I had a pretty jerky childhood uh, some of you, <laughs> quite honestly, you didn't know it was going to happen, or at least you, you didn't think it would work out fully this way, but you married a jerk. <laughs> and, it, like, let, you know, and, and you had some friends that warned you before you got married. They said, don't marry him, he's a jerk. And you said, oh, I'll fix him. You can fix a dog, but you're not going to fix him like that. <laughs> we all know, hey, look, we all know, we all know jerks. We, we've all been around them. Every one of us has had this encounter with somebody, and we've looked at them, and we thought, man, that person, they're acting mean. They're acting ugly. They, they, they've got to be, they must be a jerk. In fact, we called this series the jerk face kind of series, how to not be a jerk face. And I thought, let's go to Urban Dictionary and find out what a jerk face actually is. And so I put that definition in your notes. We'll have it up on the screen Here's what it says, someone who seems to take joy in insulting others or an obnoxious or unlikable person. Unlikable person, that's interesting because all of us have been in that category. We've all been unlikable to somebody. I think that's partly what I want to draw our attention to here uh, this morning is that we've kind of all been that person at one time or another. I, we, we love to point our fingers at other people. In fact, I think there's a part of calling somebody a jerk that makes you and I feel better about ourselves because they're a jerk, they're a jerk face, and I'm not. I mean, they're acting really awful in what they're doing, but I don't act like that. I think it does make us feel better to think that maybe somebody is worse than us, somebody's messier than us. We love, we find comfort in that, but... And the truth is, we, we have all been unlikable. And we all have been somebody that somebody may have called a jerk. Maybe not to us directly, but they've said it about us. I thought it might be good because, again, we're so interested, I think, in a series like this to look at everybody else and point at everybody else. I think let's take a little time to say, is it possible that maybe I'm a jerk? Uh, let's look at it. So what I thought I would do is give you a scoring opportunity to just find out right now, before we go any further, are you possibly a jerk? And so I put together this little jerk meter for you to kind of figure out where you are on, on the scale. In fact, at the end of this, you're going to get a chance to score yourself. You've heard of grade point averages, GPA. We're going to give you your JPA, your jerk point average, so that you can find out kind of where you are on the scale of jerkiness, and so I'm going to give you 15 questions, and if you uh, can say, okay, that one I've done before, just put a little mark on your message notes, so make a little mark, a little tick, and say, okay, there's one, there's, I've done that before, that's two, don't mark on your other person's, uh, don't say, you did that, this is, this is your, all right, this is your self-assessment here, so let's walk through this together, here's the first one, you know that you got a little jerkiness if you like to post pictures of parties you go to on social media. Because, hey, I'm here and you're not. Ha, ha, ha. 
Look at me. I've got more than you got. I got a lot more friends. All right, here's the next one. You forget to pick up your dog's poop. Uh-oh, somebody just made a tick mark. Number three, you don't like to say hi to the receptionist. You don't, you don't acknowledge her or him when you walk in, you know, because they're just too, too lowly to talk to. And number four, here we go, texting while talking to somebody else. That's me. Okay. Been, all right. Got definitely that one. Uh, next one. You leave your grocery cart in the middle of the parking lot. Gone. Just go on and just put a mark down. Just go ahead. Uh, you like to use big words you know other people won't understand. Jerk. All right. Here we go. Uh, failing to learn your waiter or waitress's name. They're just the, the food deliverer don't really care anything about their life. You let the door slam shut behind you without looking. You may have done that, whether it was accidentally or on purpose. I can guarantee you the person behind you said, jerk. <laughs> uh, using your speakerphone in public. Don't, don't, please, please don't. Some of you are like, that's, that's not a thing you can do? No, don't do that. <laughs> Treating a handshake like it's an arm wrestling match. Uh, bragging, talking about your great deal you got on your new 70-inch big screen TV. Uh, number 12, eating in front of others without offering to share. Uh, that's me, for sure. Uh, talking on the phone while checking out in the store. Leaving a pile of clothes on the fitting room floor. I'm so glad it said on the fitting room floor because when I started to read this, when I saw this online, I thought leaving a pile of clothes on the floor at your home. Well, I, I've done that, but fortunately it didn't say that. It said on the fitting room floor. Actually, it probably is jerky to leave piles of, of clothes on the floor at home. And then here's the last one. Ready? Uh, you like to leave early, leave church early before the buckets are done being passed and everyone is dismissed. Ding, ding, ding. All right, all right, all right. So let's see how we did. I put a little scale there in your notes. Five or more, you are a big jerk, big jerk. Three to four, you're mostly jerk. One to two, you're somewhat jerk. And if you are a zero there, you're perfect. And I want to say thank you, Jesus, for attending New Walk here uh, this weekend. You're good. Here's the thing that we come to discover, uh, that uh, when you're out there talking about, hey, what a jerk that person is, and man, they're so messed up in the way they do things, it's such a jerky person, I think we got to pause and we got to look at the situation a little bit differently. Before you're critical of somebody else and talking about their jerkiness, can we look inward? I, I know, I know we're church people, church people aren't jerks. <laughs> No, we, we are. We just polish it up a little bit. All right, so let's, let's, before we're critical of other people, let's look at what's going on in our own lives. Let's look at the entire situation in this series as well. Uh, look, I, I wrote this in my notes. It's not in yours, but be a student of the situation, not a critic. 
In other words, take a little time to unpack the whole situation. Don't just check your brain at the door, you know, when you become a Christian, or if you're not a Christian. Don't just be like, well, they're just a jerk. No, take a little time to unpack the situation for what it is. The first thing you have to understand is, is we know that our human history dictates that all of us have a little bit of jerkiness in us. Because we're fallen people, we're broken people, because none of us are perfect. We were made in the image of God, God is not a jerk. But, because sin entered the world, uh, you understand, because sin entered the world through what took place in the garden, the Garden of Eden, then we understand uh, that because Adam and Eve made a choice to not follow God and to not trust God, and they chose to eat of the fruit of the tree that was forbidden, sin enters the world, and all of a sudden, messiness starts to take over in humanity. Here we are in the year 2022, and you're a part of that, and I'm a part of that. We're an imperfect world full of situations and scenarios where we don't always treat each other well. It says in Romans 5:12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It actually goes on there in the scriptures to say uh, now that there's one man that came to really free us of sin through Jesus Christ. But it says there that all of us, we understand, all of us have dealt with sin because it's a part of our everyday life. Then that means because, because sin has entered this world, we do have a commonality together. Everybody in this room, we, we come together here this morning to a situation where we all have something in common as jerks. We've all had a mess before that call, in our life that caused us to react to somebody, to respond to somebody in a certain way that was unhealthy. There's things that we've done, treated people poorly at times and didn't even maybe know it or mean it, but, but we, we, we've done it. And so we're paying attention to the fact that we're all kind of in this boat together. I think it's also important when you consider let's be a student and not just a critic Let's remember that behind every response of jerkiness, there is also a hurting person usually. I mean, nobody responds in a jerky fashion if they're healthy on the inside or if they're, if they're in a healthy situation. Responses that you and I get from humanity that are unhealthy, our situations usually, there's something going on on the inside. So I wrote this down in your notes. Remember, jerkiness comes from life's messiness. Jerkiness usually comes from life's messiness. Let me make the point this way. Uh, two weeks ago, we went on a little trip, a little wild at heart trip, took a group of men, and every year we have a, you know, a charter bus, and so that means they give us a bus driver. In all the years of this trip, we've had a great relationship with the bus driver, some of the men who've been on this trip in this room. You know we've always had a good time with the bus driver, you know, enjoyed having him on the trip as well, and, uh, but this year started out a little bit different. Uh, this year, we uh, very clearly... From the time we got on the bus Wednesday morning, this gentleman was not on board, you know, like he just was not excited about being with us. And so he was kind of treating us some kind of way the whole way up there. And now about eight, nine hours later, we arrive, we're very close, we're just minutes away from our final destination there. And uh, there was a turn he was about to make 
that was going to be down the wrong road. It was pretty evident to us he was about to make that turn. And so uh, a couple of us were like, no, no, no not, that, not that road. Just right right there. It's the next one. It's the next one. And, and so we, we told him that, and he snapped. He said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you leave the driving to me, and I'll leave the preaching to you. Wow. Ooh. You know I'm thinking, jerk, <laughs> jerk. <laughs> And so I take the guys, we go kind of, we get off the bus, we go to our little journey, and Pastor Ken, who's on the trip there, he's like, you know what, Pastor Gary, I'm, I'm going to spend some time with him over the next uh, day, and I'm just going to find out a little bit more about, clearly something's going on in this guy's life. And to Pastor Ken's credit, he took that time, and you know what he found out? He found out that guy had been through multiple terrible things in the recent months, and even more recent than that. He was, he was hurting on the inside. And so his responses on the outside were coming from a brokenness on the inside. We have to remember that as Christians. We have to care about what's going on with other people, and we're going to hear more about that a little more next week. But the reminder to you and I is, yeah, we're going to be students. We're going to care about all of the things that are kind of behind the scenes, including how they're hurting. Uh, but then we're also, as a part of being students, we're going to take time to figure out how are we doing in our own lives in this area. Are we sometimes being jerks? And Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew 7 and verse 3. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. <laughs> in other words, before we go running around calling everybody else a jerk, it, what, what about us? And so I put in your notes, really the first step for you and I is to yank the plank let's get the plank out of our own eye. That's what Jesus is saying. He's just saying, you're, you're worried about everybody else's messes, but, but first, what's happening, what's happening in you? Let's, let's be careful before we judge other people about a response that they have. Let's, let's be careful, of course, to care what they're going through, but, but, what about, but what about me? As a student, I can look at this and say, I've been grumpy before. I've snapped at people. I've given people the silent treatment. That's, a, that's jerky. I've yelled at people. I've done all of that. And so I look at what's happening here. I think, you know something? I think what makes a great church is a church that understands that. That when people come onto our site, when we gather in a time like this, VIPs, first-time visitors are here, that... Before we worry about what they're doing in their life, we're, we're, we're continually focused on, on what needs to maybe change in our own life. I think church would be a whole lot better. Uh, I think our reputation would be, I'm talking about the church in general, in, in America and even around the world, if instead of our first response was judgment, 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 we were just focused on what God was trying to do in our own heart. Uh, I think because we understand that we've all fallen short and we've all gotten this wrong and we live in a sinful world, I think we should just get off on the right foot here this morning and let's just, let's just get ourselves in right positioning that this message is for 
all of us, and let's do something we probably need to do right now. Just turn to your neighbor and just say, I'm a jerk. Go ahead. Just go ahead and do it right now. Go ahead. Say, I'm a jerk. The the person you're sitting next to has been waiting years for you to say that anyway. So say, I'm a jerk. Now we're ready. Now we're ready. And this is the the biggest part I want to bring your attention to this morning in your notes. We're going to spend a lot of time now here. Here's the thing. Christians believe, you want to know what Christians believe? We believe that the jerkiness that brings us together is exactly what brought God near. God sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to humanity. Why? Because we're messy. All of us. We believe that's the reason why he came in sin and brokenness. And and so we, we understand that when we consider why we're here for Jesus, to learn about Jesus, why the gospel is so important, it's because all of us are kind of in that place. John three sixteen, the famous scripture, for God, for God so loved the what? Okay, that's everybody here in this room. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the jerks. For God so loved you and I that he gave. It's why Jesus came here. It's why God came near to you and I. Humanity, no matter what your background, no matter what your race, color, no matter what social status, financial, whatever it is, God came near to humanity to help us with just this kind of a situation in our own lives. And I think that's hard for people to understand because they don't have a right view of who God is. Uh, There are people who have really a wrong view of who God is and it's been going on a long time, right? Some people... Uh, you know, I, I've said this before, they, they say these things like, I could never come to church because if I come to church, the place would burn down or for the roof would cave in based on some of the things that I've done. And that's part of a wrong understanding of who God actually is. And going back to ancient times, people have struggled to understand this, this God. And, you know, they thought uh, that if God came near to humanity and made himself known here on earth, you know how he's going to come. He's going to come very judgmental. He's going to just strike everybody down. It's going to be, you know, bad times because God's coming and it's Judge Judy and this is it. But when God came near through Jesus Christ, it it wasn't that. In fact, it was rather astounding. It was almost other world kind of material. And it was so different than the way people expected that a God would come to show us love and grace in the midst of our hurts, in the midst of our brokenness, that the people during the time of Jesus nearly, and many of them did, missed it. Like, that's the Messiah. And in fact, Jesus came exactly how the scriptures said he would come, but they still missed it because they had in their mind that this this Messiah was gonna do all these other things, and, and still today, in the year 2022, if you're not careful, you'll miss it the truth about why Jesus came. When you begin to understand that everybody struggles with this and that this is why Jesus came near, the lens on how you see people, the lens on how they have a need to know who God is, everything begins to change. You begin to look at things differently. When you yourself, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Christ, but you come to the understanding that we all have this brokenness, and so we all have a need to kind of figure out how to get this right. When you figure out that that's actually a thing, it puts you a step closer to understanding now why you need God in your own 
life. And I hope some of you will figure that out here in our time together. I want to look now at a very important part of Scripture out of the book of Romans. And I want to just give you a little backstory about it here real quick. Some of you know about Paul, who uh, about two-thirds of the text in the New Testament is attributed to him. So many of you who read your Bible, you know that that's the case. But, uh, but you also know, if you read your Bible, you know that before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul was well-educated in the things of the Old Testament. He was, he was well-educated in the law. He was a well-educated, highly-schooled man. Uh, this is a sharp dude. And when Jesus came... He didn't want nothing to do with Jesus because it felt like Jesus was kicking down the doors of the Old Testament, and he didn't like that, and so he was a part of a group of people that were very anti the Christians, and they began to persecute the church, persecute Christians. I mean, that's what he was doing. You talk about a jerk face. That was Saul. Well, then you know the story about Saul. He has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And now his life is radically transformed. He becomes a Christian and he starts like started churches and the movement of the gospel all over uh, parts of that region because of that transformation. He's radically changed. He's on fire for the things of God. He has this incredible transformation. This well-educated man takes and notes and writes about his journeys and writes about the things he's learned from God and, and the things that we know are true and He's meticulous about it, and it was passed down to you and I in the New Testament, and we have his writings there so powerful. And in Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, here is how it starts off. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So he starts out here with, with a principle I want to make sure you get straight, and, and that is this, is that that. Uh, for all of humanity, there, there, there's law. We, we know that, right? He, he's, in particular, talking about law in scriptures. But, but for all of us, we understand this is the way it works. When there's a law over you, you're under the law. So let's take this, like, in the United States of America, and the, and the Constitution, and, and the laws of our land. Like, you're under the, all of us have that in common here right now. You're under that, you're under that law. You go to a university, and that university has its policies, its procedures. You're, you're under that law of that university. And you, you realize that that's, that that's the case. Uh, in the scriptures, we have the Old Testament law. Then we have sort of the New Testament law of Jesus meshing together. If you were a Jew, you were into that Old Testament law. If you're a Christian, you see how it all works now together through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, and you have that through the New Testament working together together with the Old Testament. In other words, all of us in this room, okay, Paul's bringing us onto the same page here in essence, we all have some sort of law that we're under. You may not obey it at times, but we all understand that there's something overarching that all of us seem to pay attention to. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, you have almost some sort of law of your conscience. You can't explain it. You can't. You know that, okay, you say, well, I don't believe in the things of God and the Bible, but there are things that I do hold fast to. Like, there's just some things I won't do in my life. There's things you will do, and you recognize that, but somewhere in your conscience, you've drawn some sort of line in the sand that says, but now that's a place I won't go. And so even the person here is not a believer in Christ, you have a law of your conscience that says, I don't do these things, but I do these things. 
You have to recognize that, that there's some kind of standard that's in place in your life. As a matter of fact, if you're here today, whether you're a believer or not a believer, and you utter these words when somebody's upset with you, if you've ever said these words, well, nobody's perfect. Mom, come on, mom. What do you think, I'm perfect, mom? I'm not perfect, you expect me to be perfect? And your boss calls you out on something and says, says you need to do this, you go, well, come on, nobody's perfect. You know, whether you're a believer or not, when you utter those words, you are recognizing that there's some standard there, there's a standard, you haven't measured up to it, and you're recognizing that, that you've fallen short because there seems to be some perfect standard, but you haven't been able to attain it. So anytime we utter those words, nobody's perfect, we're recognizing that there's some sort of law that we're under, whether we're believers or not believers. Maybe for some of you, it's a, some sort of formula that you've personally come up with. Maybe it's some law of morality. Maybe it's some law of ethics that you follow. And then it goes on in the scriptures. It said, so that, we've got this law, so that, here's what it says. Now we know that whatever the law says, all right, so here's the so that, so that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So what is the purpose of the law? To give instruction to the people who are under the law. And then here's the, here it is, here it is, so that, it goes on, so that every mouth, look at this, will be what? Silenced. Oh my. And the whole world, that the whole world would be held accountable to God. The so that. The, the so that is, is so powerful. Uh, whether you have Old Testament law, New Testament law, the wholeness of the word of God, whether it's the law of your conscience, your ethics, or your morality that you've come up with, uh, he's saying that there is a so that there's a so that in the process, first of all, that helps us understand that we're under a law and that there's these guardrails that we seem to find in life and that we've all had a moment where we haven't met those standards. And the so that is that you and I are brought under this law so that any time there's a struggle going on that we're dealing with with somebody else, the first response is that you would shut your mouth and focus on how you're doing with the law. That you would be silenced. That doesn't mean, you know, we don't have conversations with people who we're struggling with, but the first response towards the law is, well, how am, how am I doing? What's going on in my life? And, and this struggle, this tension, it's, it, it's not to bring you to a place where, okay, now you, this is how you be perfect in your life. It's not to bring you to a place where you feel bad. The point of any law in life, the point of God's law especially, is that, that in, in times of struggle, in times of mess, in times of tension, when you have jerk face encounters with other people, that you would be silent and you would look before you're critical of somebody else at what you need to take care of in your own life. The point of the law is that nobody has got room to talk. We're looking at ourselves. You've heard the phrase, it takes one to know one. The reason why you and I know a jerk when we see one is because it takes one to know one. And this law is saying, you know you've struggled 
uh, you know that you don't have it. And that, that's what Jesus was telling us in Matthew chapter seven. He was saying, he was saying, hey, 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 before we, before we go talking, let's, let's be silenced and let's just take a look at the plank in our own eye. And then it goes on and it says this, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. That when you stand in front of that mirror of God's truth, or even let's just say you're not a believer and it's your own conscience, you'll come to the realization that there are times where you've crossed the line. You'll come to the realization where you didn't always get it right. And so we understand that still, whether it's God's word leading you or this own little law formula conscience thing that you've come up with, there's going to be times where, again, we're all in the same boat and we kind of messed it up. And then it says, rather through the law, whether it's God's law or the law of your conscience, Paul, Paul, Paul recognized, okay, through the law, we become conscious of our sin or our failure. I think this is one of the reasons why some people have struggled with church at times is because the pastor stands up and what he does is he brings forth God's word. And the Bible tells us that God's word is like a mirror under your life. And so it reflects, right? And, and so when we want the scriptures to point to somebody else, we read it and it shows us what's going on in our life. And I think sometimes the pastor preaches and he says, Here, here's the standard. And the person in the seats goes, well, I missed that mark and I don't want to sit here all day and hear how I've screwed up. And so I'm out. And because you don't want to be corrected, especially men, they don't like to be corrected. They don't like to be taught, told when they, when they got it wrong. And so I, I don't need to hear that. And again, it's a wrong view of the scriptures. It's, it's the mirror is given to you and I not so that we could be perfect, not so that we could walk out of here going, oh man, I've screwed that up, so that we can be better. God's word gives me the standard for how I can be better in my marriage, and I want that. How I can be better for my children, how I can be better towards others, how I can love my neighbor well, how I can love humanity better. And so it's giving me the guardrails and it's giving me the guideposts to say, this is how you get it right. When I read the scriptures, I'm reminded that I gotta look at some uncomfortable situations that I'm dealing with. And let me ask you an uncomfortable question right now. What is God revealing to you about your own jerkiness in a relationship right now? To a neighbor, to a friend that was a friend or an ex or a current spouse or somebody you've treated some kind of way recently. What is the mirror revealing to you and then Three verses later, we get this very famous text, and if you've been in Sunday school growing up or you, you, you've studied your Bible and memorized some things, for all have sinned, for all have sinned, so we're all in the same boat. We've, we've all gotten it wrong, whether it's the law of God or the law of your own little personal conscience that you think you've come up with. We've all sinned and we've fallen short. Ultimately, Paul makes the recognition that the standard didn't come from you. The standard came from God. We've all sinned and fallen short of that standard. And that's a pretty heavy standard because, well, first of all, I know I've fallen short of my wife's standard at times, my kids' standards, people's standards. I've gotten it wrong already based on other people's standards. And then, and then now we have God's glorious standard, which is splendor, magnificence, uh, uh, greatness, perfection. We have that standard, and it's like, okay, what do I do with that when I know that I've been that person? Well, again, this is why 
Jesus came because we are imperfect. And to be made right with God, you, you need forgiveness of the times that you didn't get it right. That's how you're, you're made right with God. And, and so you get connected with God through Jesus Christ and then something happens. You get the power of God in your life through the Holy Spirit and it gives you the strength to, to be better for people in life, in humanity, to treat people the right way. It starts to give you an awareness through the Holy Spirit that I'm missing it here. And through God's word, I'm missing it here. But I want to be better. I want to I get things right. Not trying harder. Not trying harder. That's not what we're talking about, humanity trying harder. We're talking about the Holy Spirit power of God to live differently, to live better. You won't be perfect. In fact, we know. We won't discover perfection until you cross over into eternity. Until that day, we're just on this journey where we're, we're trying to do better with humanity. Love my neighbor as myself. Trying to just get the basics right. And we fall short, God, forgive me. Help me to get better so that I'm not a jerk face. I love how C.S. Lewis kind of worked through uh, this in his own life. You know, the story of C.S. Lewis, uh, we, I'm gonna give you some quotes from Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis was not a believer at one time. He was uh, a very much uh, um, a historian, philosopher, scholar, uh, but in his early years of life, he, he did not did not believe in God, and he started to look at things, and it became very clear to him as he studied and dug deeper in science and history that it was very obvious that there, there was a God, and uh, he says this about some of the conversations we've been having right here uh, this morning. He says, I've observed when I watch two people quarrel, I don't want to use a big word that people don't understand, because nobody uses quarrel anymore, <laughs> arguing. Here's what I'm aware of. There are two people who are both uh, two people who are both appealing to a standard that neither of them created and neither of them can escape. What he's saying is let's just take an argument with your spouse. He's saying when two people argue, they never argue over the fact that there's not a standard. Every bit of their argument is that there was some kind of standard. Well, I'm better to you than you are to me. And I'm more sensitive to you than you are to me. And I'm more loving than you are to me. I'm, like, we, we're, I'm better. I'm better at this and you're worse at that. They're arguing. Let's say you're not a believer in God, but you have arguments like that. You're arguing around some kind of standard that you say you do better and this person doesn't. You're admitting in that argument that there's something there, there's some kind of standard along the way. And so C.S. Lewis is looking at it and he's going, well, my goodness, it, it's obvious in humanity. Nobody, when they're arguing, says, forget being good to humanity. Forget treating people good. Nobody says that. They argue around who's doing it better and who's not. And then he goes on and he says, the law of gravity tells you what stones do when you drop them. In other words, in physics and in science, there are things that are just there. There are laws and there are standards that seem to have been in place forever. And how did they get there? And they seem to be very reliable. Then he goes on, but the laws of human nature, or the law of human nature, tells you what human beings ought to do and do not. Uh, in other words, he says, it seems that there is a standard, just like there is in the laws of physics and gravity, there seems to be a law that human beings seem to also operate in as well. We don't always do them right. We test them, we cross them, but, but there seems to be something there. 
He says, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to have a certain way and not really get rid of it. There ought to be some sort of standard. There's something above and beyond the ordinary facts of men's behaviors, yet quite definitely real. Look, he's saying a real law, none of us made it, but which we find pressing on us. And so that brings us to this thing that I just wanted to share with you. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you can acknowledge we fall short of something. Maybe you'd step into saying, just like C.S. Lewis did when he was studying Christianity, to say, my goodness, that law has always been there. It's always been there. Oh my goodness, it's always been there. How did, how did that get there? And that we all struggle with it. And so I wrote this in my notes. Once we acknowledge our own mistakes, our own messes, and our own jerkiness, we're now a baby step away from acknowledging God. Some of you are right on the cusp of that right now. Oh my goodness, there's a standard there that we fall short of just exactly like Paul was describing. Once we acknowledge that, we're now in a position. Let God do a work in us to turn over our lives to him. Let him do a work in us and to help us take care of our own business. You know why you know a jerk when you see one? Because it takes one to know one. Religious and non-religious, Christian and non-Christian, we have it in common that there's a standard. We're paying attention to that this morning, and I want to pray with you. Let's pray together. God, you're revealing things to us this morning about our own self. I want to just particularly focus this morning on somebody here who's just that baby step away from acknowledging that the standard didn't come from their own conscience. It's just as C.S. Lewis studied it. It's, It's been there all along. And all of humanity knows it, that it's there. It's just an issue of whether you want to recognize it or not. It's exactly why God came near to you and I, that there's a standard and we don't get it right. And God said a long time ago, he said, he said, if you want to be connected to me, you have to be forgiven. And you can't forgive yourself, only God can. So he gave his son, Jesus Christ, come near to us, die on a cross for the forgiveness of your sin. Now you're connected to God. Now you have the power of God. Now you have the strength of God in your life and to live differently, not perfectly, but differently, to be better in home, family, friends, relationships, life. Have an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It all starts with a connection to God and accepting that he did come near through his son, Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead, that your sin could be forgiven right now, this morning, and that you could have eternal life, but a life here on this earth that puts you in a journey to live very differently. You can receive him this morning by just inviting him in. And God, I accept the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. I realize I'm not going to always get it right, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be forgiven and I'm gonna, every time I struggle, I'll ask for forgiveness and I'll ask you, God, to help me get it right. I'll see in your word that, God, you're working, doing a work in me. I'm ready to begin that journey today. I accept the gift of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.